name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Church family, it was 31 years ago that Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and immediately upon doing that, the U.S. led an allied force to launch a tumultuous bombing campaign that we came to know as shock and awe. That battle was lightning fast, and um, um, Iraq, or at least Saddam Hussein, was kicked out of Kuwait, and we invaded Iraq in about 100 hours. The battle was over in 100 hours. Now, when you say that, it should, it should get our attention because if you know history, you know that there was a war that was actually called the Hundred Years' War. That's amazing, isn't it? One, one war lasted 100 hours. The other war lasted 100 years. And if you think that's impressive, well, I've got that beat today because 1,500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was another battle that we find in the Old Testament. It didn't last 100 years. It didn't last 100 hours. This battle didn't even last 100 seconds. It was a famous Old Testament battle called the Battle of Jericho when the walls of Jericho came a-tumbling down, right? Um, this morning, I'm so excited to be able to be past our series that we just finished, the series called Refresh. What a joy that was to preach that series. But today, I want us to launch into a study just this morning of the Battle of Jericho, and I immediately want to connect you with the spiritual and personal applications of this story by taking you to the very end of this message. Now, obviously, we're going to come back to it again, right? But I want you to be thinking this way the entire time. I want you to ask yourself, what is my personal Jericho? In other words, what is it in my life that stands as an obstacle keeping me from entering into all that God has promised to me? Now, for some of us, when we ask that question today, we may automatically confess that, that our Jericho is an inner Jericho. It may be a thought pattern that you have. It may be a temperament that's always been around. It may be a personality characteristic that you've had literally for years. You can't remember a time that you didn't have it. You may have an inner Jericho that keeps you from moving forward in Christ. Or you also may have an outer Jericho today. It may be something in front of you that somebody else has caused. Maybe they did it to you and you're the victim and it's keeping you from moving forward and claiming God's promise. And so I want you to ask yourself, what's my Jericho? I'm asking you today, what's your Jericho? So this morning as we're talking about how Jericho fell in the Old Testament, I want you to apply this to how your personal Jericho can also fall. Now the first thing I want to say today is that Jericho, God demonstrated his power. We're going to take a running start today to see how God prepared the Israelites for this amazing moment. And we're going to be studying this, obviously, out of the book of Joshua. So go ahead and take your Bibles today. We're going to be marching periodically. We'll come back and read part of the story. Then we'll talk about it. We'll read part of the story again. We'll talk about it. But go ahead and stand with me now. We'll stand in honor of the reading of God's Word for this first reading. This is a running start today into the story. God demonstrated his power. Joshua chapter 3, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Here's how it all begins. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass it on ahead of the people, 
So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the ed- edge of Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. Now, before we continue reading, stay standing with me. The Jordan River was at flood stage. It happened every single year. This was the moment. It was at its highest level that it ever reached during the year, and God was about to perform a miracle. So now spring forward to verses 14, 15, and 16. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a, at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, that's what we know as the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. All right, be seated. So let's go ahead and, and dive into this, to this study. What exactly was God doing, right? Why did he stop the Jordan River? Well, the first thing that I want us to think about today is that this was a new generation. The old generation that had come out of Egypt, they had not trusted God. And as a result, we remember that they had wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And all of them had died out except for Caleb and Joshua. So God had to teach them a lesson. God had to demonstrate his power to them again. This was his power revealed to a new generation. Just as he had made the Red Sea, right, part for one generation, now he was showing a new generation. He was still powerful by causing the waters of the Jordan to stand up and stop. And I love the faith of these priests, right? God said to the priest, in the flood, go stand in the river. In other words, folks, they were going to get wet. Have you ever stood in the river when you didn't get wet, right? That's what was going to happen. And God didn't stop the Jordan until they obeyed him. The Bible says it wasn't until their feet touched the water's edge that the water stopped. Now let's learn something about faith right here. I believe those priests trusted God so much that they would have kept on walking even though that water would have been up to their waist, even if that water would have been up to their chins. That's how much they trusted God. But our problem is this, that most of us say, okay, God, when you stop the water and I see that the water has stopped, that's when I'll step in. That's when I'll move forward. But that's not the way God operates. God tells us to walk to the very edge of everything we know, to walk to the very edge of everything that we can see and feel and taste and touch, and then he tells us to keep on going by faith and by trust in him. That's exactly the way it happened for Peter. Think about that story with me for a moment. You remember the story when Peter was fishing in the boat and and Jesus came walking on the water, and this is my paraphrase. Peter says, hey, Jesus, I'd like to walk on the water too. And Jesus simply says to him, well, step out. But what if Peter had said, okay, Lord, when I see the water turning into a concrete sidewalk, 
when I see it solidified, frozen through and through, right, then I'll throw my leg over the boat and, and I'll step out. But that's not what Peter did. He put his foot onto liquid water and he trusted Jesus and he walked by faith. Same thing these priests were doing. They were walking by faith into the Jordan River and when they followed God and when they trusted God, he performed a miracle. God was demonstrating his power. At Jericho, God demonstrated his power. The second thing I want us to talk about is this. At Jericho, God detailed his instruction. And if you know the story, you know that God gave them some very interesting instructions. Now take your Bible and go with me to Joshua chapter 4. In Joshua chapter 4, it gets a little more interesting, and we're going to read several verses kind of skipping around, but let's start in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Now, spring forward to verse 8. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Now verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones... They had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So God, God says, I want you to pick 12 men. Now let's stop for a moment and let's ask ourselves, does that sound familiar? When else and where else did God say pick 12 men? Not, it's not the New Testament, right? It, it, it's when in the Old Testament, 12 men were chosen to be spies to go and expect the land, right? But this time, God wants him to pick 12 men to pick up 12 rocks out of the river. And I want us to notice what Joshua did not say. He didn't say, why do you want us to do this, Lord? It doesn't make any sense. Not one man actually said rocks. Why do you want us to pick up rocks out of the river? The point is they just obeyed the Lord. God was trying to get them ready to obey him even if they didn't understand the commandment. Even if they didn't understand why they were doing it. You see, God was just saying, just obey me. And I think that's the point of what we're reading. When God tells us to do things, sometimes we, we look at it and we say, why? But that's not the right response. We should just obey the Lord because God is trying to get us ready for something bigger and better that's ahead of us. Now, let me give you a story. How many of you remember watching the original Karate Kid, right? 
And the original one is always better, right? It's always better. But the original movie, The Karate Kid, it starred Ralph Macchio as Daniel, right? And, and he asked Mr. Miyagi to teach him karate. And so the master sends him out behind the house. If you've seen the movie, you remember this moment. He sends him out behind the house with a paintbrush and a bucket of paint, and he tells him to paint the fence. So Daniel works all day, day after day, painting the fence, and he keeps complaining, saying, I want to learn karate. I don't want to paint the fence. I just want to learn karate. And Mr. Miyagi says, you keep painting fence, right? And what he didn't realize is while he was painting the fence, he was learning the right kind of moves for karate, right? He was building up the muscles in his hands and his arms, and, and he didn't even really know the reason of what he was doing. And I think that's the point. Sometimes when God tells us to do simple things, right, simple things in the Word of God, we want to look and say, why would we do that? There's no reason to do that. We want bigger things. We want better things. But really what God is doing is he's training us. He's, he's getting us ready. And I think that's why he told his people to pick up 12 rocks. He just simply wanted to know if they would obey him. So at Jericho, God is demonstrating his power. At Jericho, God is giving detailed instructions. And then at Jericho, God deploys his angelic army. Very interesting. Go back to Joshua chapter 5 this time. And in Joshua chapter 5, I want us to read verses 10, 11, and 12. We see the most interesting occurrence. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, Joshua 5 verse 10, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. I'm sorry about that. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. For that year, they ate of the produce of Canaan. So, so they had been eating manna for 40 years, right? God had been feeding them. He had been sustaining them with this interesting food called manna. And the word manna in the Old Testament actually means, you know this, right? It actually means, what is this? Now, have your mama ever served you something and you said, what's this, right? Well, that's literally the name that God gave this food. It's what they called it. It, 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 nobody really knows what it was, but God, they went out, they gathered it every morning, and God had been sustaining them for 40 years. God says, I'm going to feed you now, though, the produce of the land. There's a spiritual application here. And a lot of people are like this. They just want to keep eating manna their entire life. They want to keep spiritually being spoon-fed their entire lives, but God says, hey, that's not best for you. I want you to go beyond that. And then the most amazing things happen. Go with me now to verse 13, 14, and 15 in chapter 5. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground 
in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Amazing, right? You see, so far as Joshua has marched across the Jordan, as Joshua has commanded the people to gather the rocks, he has assumed and thought that he was the general. He knows that Jericho is the most fortified city in the entire ancient world, so you can just imagine what's going through his head, right? Let's see, I I I need a hundred ladders to conquer this place. I need 30 battering rams. I need 40,000 spears. I need 10,000 archers with six arrows each. He's got all the computations going in his head, right? And as he's planning the battle, suddenly he sees this warrior. And he didn't even recognize the warrior. He says, all right, who are you? Are you on my side or are you on their side? And it's amazing what the warrior says. He says, I didn't come to take sides. No, I came to take over. And Joshua says, well, who are you? And the warrior says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. So let's stop right there. Who is this warrior? Have you ever studied this passage and read this story and said, I wonder who this is? Who is this warrior? Is this Michael? Is this Gabriel? Is it just some unnamed angel? Well, this morning I want to give you something to think about. Because many scholars believe this is one of those rare pre-incarnate visits of the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Scripture. And there are times these scholars believe that Jesus appeared before he was ever born in Bethlehem. And there's another one of these that I can give you an example of today that these scholars always refer to. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace? Nebuchadnezzar looks in. The, 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 um, the oven was, was tumultuously hot, right? And he looks in and he says, hey, wait a minute. I thought I put three men in there, but now I see four. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. Now, scholars believe that's another one of these moments. But it, and if, if you don't buy that, that's okay. But I want you to think about it. Because I want you to look at what Joshua did. He falls down on his face before this warrior. And the only time we hear of that happening for an angel is in the book of Revelation. We just studied this, and so this will be fresh on your mind. When the apostle John is being escorted around heaven right by an angel... And you remember what John does. John falls on his face before this angel, and the angel is appalled, right? The angel says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't worship me. I'm just your fellow servant. And John was rebuked because he fell down before an angel in worship. But when Joshua falls down before this man, he isn't rebuked, is he? He does not tell him to get up. So think about this. Falling or bowing down before Jesus is usually the reaction most people had when they encountered him. The rich young ruler, go to the New Testament in your mind, the rich young ruler came before Jesus, and what does he do? He bows down before him. The leper who was healed and came back, he bowed down and he worshiped Jesus. Mary bowed down at the feet of Jesus to anoint his feet, right, with the perfume. And if that's not enough, the commander tells him, 
take off your shoes because this is holy ground. Why would he say that? Well, the last time we heard that, right, was 40 years earlier when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. He said, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. God was there, and now maybe God is here. And by the way, let me just toss this in. Anytime you have a battle to fight, you had better get on your face before God first because the battle is won on your face in prayer. It's not won by trying to fight it out on your own, friend. God had an army ready. God had an army. God still has an army. At Jericho, God deployed His angelic army. And now let's move to the last thing I want you to think about today. At Jericho, God directed the battle And it's here that we finally, finally get to the battle of Jericho. Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Let's read it now. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. In other words, they they knew they were out there, right? And no one went in and no no one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. Now let's talk a little bit about Jericho. For those of us who are about to get to go on our trip to Israel, we're actually going to get to go see this with our, with our very own eyes. But the city of Jericho is recognized as the oldest continually inhabited city on planet earth. And to this day, you can actually look down among the ruins and you can see the ruins of the walls. You can see civilization after civilization after civilization that lived in this city. And Jericho had two walls. That's what we have to recognize. There was an inner wall that was about 20 feet high, 6 feet thick. And then there was this 15-foot space or so, right, between the inner wall and the outer walls. And it was occupied by buildings and houses. And then the outer wall was 12 feet thick and 30 feet tall. Now, a basketball goal is 10 feet tall, so multiply that times 3, and you get an understanding of how tall this really is, right? So here are the children of Israel. That They cross the Jordan River. Their eyes are getting bigger and bigger. The most fortified city in all the world stands before them. Their jaws are dropping. Wow, how are we going to take that city? But God says, don't worry about it. It's a done deal. So let's touch on several things. First, God's instructions seem strange, right? I want you to walk around the city over and over and over and over again, day after day. I don't want you to fight, right? I just want you to blow trumpets and scream. (laughs) Some battle plan, right? God's instructions seem strange. But now we're back to this principle again. God's people obeyed precisely. And they didn't vary one iota. They didn't march a 
a time further than God said to march. They didn't blow any different time than God said to blow the instrument. And here's the principle. If you want to have a spiritual victory in your life, then you need to do exactly what God tells you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And do you know why God did the battle this way? I'm convinced here's the reason. So that he and he alone would get the glory and the honor. So they shouted, right? And they blew their horns, and boom, the walls came a-tumbling down. You see, because the people obeyed, God gave them the victory. And then I want to toss this in. God spared those who trusted him. And we haven't spoke about this today, but we can make mention of it now. Do you remember Rahab? It's important that we remember this today because every portion of that wall collapsed except for one house that was built into the wall, the house with the scarlet thread hanging out the window where Rahab and her family were. Friend, this teaches us that whenever God sends judgment, he always sends an opportunity to be a recipient of his mercy and his grace. And and so now we, we arrive at the end of the message. I want you to ask yourself, What's my Jericho? At Jericho, God demonstrated his power. He gave detailed instruction, right? He deployed his angelic army. He directed the battle. And and the walls came tumbling down. And so now, all of us in our lives, most of us, we have our own Jericho. We have something that's been hanging around for years, an inner Jericho, an attitude, a disposition, something that we've never really been able to overcome because we've tried to do it on our own. Or maybe it's that outer Jericho. Somebody did something to you. You're just the victim, but you've never been able to move past it, right, to claim all that God has for you. And and what does God want to bring down if you'll just give it to him? Dr. Alan Redpath who's a great spiritual mind, he, he commented on Jericho, and I, I want to close the message by reading his words. He said, why did the children of Israel walk 13 times around that place in silence? I suggest, he wrote, it took that long for every one of them to realize that it was utterly impossible for them to capture Jericho if God weren't with them. 13 long, hard looks at the enemy until they became convinced that they were no match for those who were behind that wall. God made the Israelites walk around the great fortification until within themselves they died to every hope of conquest unless God should mightily intervene. And then Redpath asked this question, is there a Jericho in your experience? You're conscious that God has brought you along in the Christian life, You're aware that he's manifested himself in blessing to you, but there's still some Jericho that haunts you. The Jericho within your personality or the Jericho on the outside. The greatest difficulty, he says, in the Christian life is getting to the place where you are prepared to admit that the whole thing is way too big for you and that the power of the enemy is far too great for you. If your Jericho is going to fall, then somehow God is the one who must bring it about. I believe that before God entrusts any of his people 
with a real measure of power and victory that he brings them to a place where they have surveyed Jericho for so long that they have come to see that its conquest is absolutely hopeless. He says this as he closes. God expects nothing more from us than failure. Yet we spend years trying to make ourselves something other than a failure. So as long as we think that we can do it on our own, that we can do it on our own strength, the miraculous resources of God cannot help even us. I want to ask you, how about you? What's come to mind when I ask you, what's your Jericho? You may be looking at that Jericho today thinking, you know what, I can, I can still handle it. I can still conquer it. I can still whip it. But I just want to say to you, oh, no, you can't. And you never could. You've tried and you've tried and you've tried, and you just can't do it. It's only by the power of God that your Jericho is ever going to fall. So trust God. And then obey God. And then shout praises.